I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 249 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that is coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, I have an awesome guest for you guys today. Nick Hardwick is a retired NFL center who played his entire career with the San Diego Chargers. He is a member of the Chargers' 50th anniversary team. Nick will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And since we are back on the gridiron today, I have an awesome upcoming guest to tell you guys about. Legendary wide receiver Tim Brown, who won the Heisman Trophy at Notre Dame and was enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame as an Oakland Raider, will be joining me next week. So lock it in for that. I will be trying to keep my NFL interviews to Thursdays since Thursday Night Football kicks off the new week of the NFL. So today, Nick Hardwick. Next Thursday, Tim Brown. And the following Thursday will be another Hall of Famer and one of the greatest players in NFL history. Make sure you follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace because that is where I'll be making my guest announcements first. I know many of you dads out there have kids playing football, whether that's flag or tackle. My kids played flag football and I coached them for about six years and I was very impressed by the way the NFL Play 60 Flag Football League was run. I wish they had something like that. When I was a kid, from second grade till I finished high school, we played old school tackle football just about on any field that we could and I think I enjoyed those pickup games more than I did actually playing in pads in high school. Looking back on it though, I think we were a little nuts to play the way that we did. The flag football leagues are great because it gives the kids a chance to have some good competition and learn the skills of the game while playing. What they do lose is the problem-solving skills that we had to forge, such as finding the field to play, setting the rules, calling the penalties, stopping the fights, and stuff like that. We didn't have any refs or coaches or parents watching us, and certainly nobody was live-streaming us on Facebook. Uh, So as with everything in life, there's some positives and negatives to it. So let's jump into today's podcast episode. Please make sure you're telling every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list about the show that is celebrating fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks, family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I'm going to be right back with All-Pro NFL Center, Nick Hardwick. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, First Class Fatherhood is being brought to you today by Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They sent me their lawnmower 2.0, and I wish they had something like this years ago. I can't tell you how many times I've nicked my nuggets in the shower while shaving, and you definitely don't want to be using the same razor on your face that you're using down there on the two amigos. The lawnmower 2.0 is an electric trimmer with skin-safe technology. It's waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. So let's go, dads. Right now, First Class Fatherhood listeners are getting 20% off their entire order, plus free shipping by using the promo code FATHER. Go to manscaped.com, enter the promo code FATHER at the checkout, save 20% off, and get free shipping. Manscaped.com, promo code FATHER. All right, joining me now is a first-class father. He was drafted by the San Diego Chargers in the third round of the 2004 NFL Draft. He was selected to the Pro Bowl in 2006. It is so cool for me to say, Nick Hardwick, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Hey, thank you, Alec. Appreciate you having me on. All right, let's start here. How many kids do you have and how old are they? I have two boys. They're seven and five, Hudson and Teddy. Wow, okay, very cool. What type of uh, sports or activities are they into? Okay, we like all parents, I mean, we are just in a myriad of 
sports and activities. Of course, like with boys, I feel like they're like dogs. You just got to wear them out, and then you'll get their best behavior and be able to teach them a little bit. So like keep them on the move, get them, get them their exercise in, feed them good food, and then we can start to make a little bit of progress. But right now they are in – both of them do lacrosse together, and my five-year-old competes up with a seven-year-old and plays on his team because, of course – what the older one's doing, the younger one wants to do. My older one, Hudson, he plays basketball and he is doing hip hop dance, which is completely new. But it, he told me like three weeks ago, he said, I go, how was it, buddy? And he said, it was so much fun. He goes, that hour felt like two minutes. And I go, well, you're in the right space then. So good for you. And then my youngest, Teddy, is a baseball nut. So he's in baseball and lacrosse, and Hudson is doing hip-hop, dance, basketball, and lacrosse. And it's more than enough, and it's so fun to watch them play. I mean, I, I can't believe how much enjoyment I get out of just watching them perform. Yeah, very cool. Do, do you get involved with coaching at all with the lacrosse or the baseball, or you enjoy it all from the sidelines? Okay, so, yeah, we have. We've played soccer in the past. Both my wife and I have coached. I've coached their t-ball teams in the past and kind of what we've learned about that is at that age it just seems wildly challenging for the kids to be able to differentiate between when I have my dad hat on and when I have my coach hat on and they're both wildly competitive kids and so when I'm cheering because they're seven and five or before they were younger I'm cheering for both teams. I'm just cheering for all of the kids to be out there. They don't understand why I'm cheering and they, in their head, they construct it as I'm cheering against them, which is not at all the case. I just want all the kids to have a great experience. And so they end up getting really upset with me and they've gotten upset with my wife, Jamie, as we're coaching them and they can't draw the barrier between dad and coach or mom and coach and, so that becomes a really challenging situation. Now, I have a hard time just staying on the sidelines and not saying anything. So usually I don't take the head coaching role on, but I do like to volunteer and do the assistant thing. All right, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Nick, do, do me a favor here. Just take a minute, please, to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background. A little bit about my background. I'm from Indiana. I was a high school wrestler. I ended up going to Purdue as an ROTC scholarship. Uh, I was going to be a Marine Corps officer when I came out of Purdue. And then I had a buddy my second year asked me to go to the Purdue University walk-on tryouts for the football team. And that was in the middle of the Drew Brees mania at Purdue. They ended up going to the Rose Bowl that year. I went and watched them as a fan. And then I showed up to the walk-on tryouts about a month later and then Soon enough, I made the team. I played three years for Purdue University, got drafted in the third round with the third pick of the 2004 NFL draft, was the Chargers center for 11 years, was the captain of the team my last five seasons there, retired at the end of the 2014 season due to neck injuries, and then I have been working in the broadcast world for the last Four going on five years, and I'm doing sports on our local TV station here in San Diego at Fox 5, and I'm a, 
I hosted my own radio show for the last three years. I've since pulled back to allow more time to be with the kids and to be with Jamie. And I'm now a contributor on our local sports talk radio show here at Extra 1360. And I own three going on four gyms in San Diego. We call ourselves Renegade Fit Camp. We have nearly 850 members in the two to three years that we've been open. We've got a lease out on number four, and we're continuing to expand rapidly. And I'm kind of heading down the health and fitness path currently, and that's really where my passion lies. Of course, I still love watching Charger football, but I'm finding my interest diverting more towards health, fitness, and longevity after playing 11 years in the NFL, trying to find ways to restore my body and get as much good quality living as I can after such a rough career making a living. Yeah, well, what an incredible journey that you've had here, Nick. And how old were you when you first became a dad? And how did becoming a dad kind of change your perspective on life? Yeah, I became a dad at 30 years old. So I'm 30 years older than Hudson. He's going to turn 7 in December. I turned 38 in September. And it, it changed everything. I mean, as a football player, it was a really wild experience to become a dad and then to go out and try to play and fill such a savage role. So I was the center of the football team, which meant I was the tip of the spear. And being a dad really softens you. And I think when you come into the National Football League, you you are one of the – and you, you feel like, anyhow, looking back at my career, I laugh as I say this, you feel like one of the toughest men on the planet. And you feel almost immortal, and you feel like this is never going to end. And a couple of injuries kind of led me to understand that this career is going to end. But then when I had Hudson, and Jamie had Hudson, it made me realize that not only is my career going to end, but if there is a start to life, there is definitely going to be a finish to life. So this life that I'm living right now is going to end at some point. And that was the overwhelming experience of having a baby for the first time was thinking, this started somewhere, this is going to end somewhere, and you better make the most of it. Yeah, very well said. And I know you, you had your oldest son the night before one of your games, right, <laughs> against the Ravens. Did you play in that game, and what was that like for you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I played in that game. We had him, and we had a uh, a planned – we induced Jamie as a plan, so I didn't end up missing one of the games because my baby was born, or I didn't miss the baby being born. So both Hudson and Teddy were – induced and it was a plan about that so we had our hospital room checked her in at 7 30 in the morning and it was a saturday night and or saturday morning that we checked her in started inducing about nine in the morning well she didn't end up giving birth to hudson until about seven o'clock that night wonderful experience but about 10 o'clock i looked at her i kissed her and i said baby i love you i'm so proud of you i'm proud of us and what we've been able to bring into this world I've got to go get some sleep. We've got a game tomorrow. She completely understood. She was, And she has been all on board with the family and the mission. And 
getting accomplished what we need to get accomplished. So I ended up going home that night. I came back in the morning, and this is kind of one of the wildest experiences. It was a night game that we were playing against the Baltimore Ravens at home. And before I left to drive to the stadium, I, the doctor comes in and he says, okay, I'm going to do Hudson's circumcision now. Would you like to come watch? And I thought, well, this is going to be really interesting. I'm not sure how this is going to affect me before the game, but I'm certainly not going to miss out on this opportunity to take part. And so I went, <laughs> so I went into the room where they did the circumcision and I helped him and I calmed him down and I kind of, they'd strap his legs and strap his arms down and then you give him little sugar water to calm him down immediately afterwards. And right when we got Hudson back to the room after the circumcision, once again, I had to kiss Jamie on the forehead and said, baby, I'll see you after the game. And I'm telling you, I played one of my best games that I've ever played against the Baltimore Ravens hours after watching my firstborn be circumcised. And it was so surreal. It just felt like the game was such a breeze. It was so fun. It was refreshing to be out there. There was no pressure. There was no stress. It was just like I showed up. I was as relaxed as I had ever been in my career. And I played almost, if if not my best game, close to as good as I could have possibly played in the, in the day after we had our firstborn. It was unbelievable. And then I... I rushed out of the locker room after the game. I went back to the hospital, and it was a complete change of fate. Now, when I went back to the hospital, Jamie looked like she had seen a ghost, and I said, baby, what's wrong? And she goes, this has been horrible, Nick. This has been a horrible experience for me. So apparently Hudson was colicky. I didn't even know what that word was before I returned back to the hospital. I said, well, what, what the hell's colicky mean? And apparently it had to do with reflux and some with their gastrointestinal system. And they're really highly sensitive colicky parents out there will, or parents of colicky kids will understand that colicky kids are highly sensitive and feel pain, I think, more intensely than kids who are not colicky. And he wouldn't latch on to her breast, so she was trying to breastfeed. Well, he wouldn't latch on. And so the baby was not feeding she felt incapable as a newborn mother, and the baby was colicky, so all he was doing in the room was screaming at the top of his lungs. And I walked into the storm after having one of the best games of my life, after seeing him born and wishing them well, and then coming back, and I was like, wow, this was a complete turnaround here. And so just an unbelievable experience going from the highest high to – and it wasn't the lowest low in perspective, but based on where I'd come from, it was a big drop-off. And I was just so upset to see my wife and my best friend feel incapable as a woman. And it, it really hurt her, and it, it was just upsetting for me to see. Yeah, well, what a swing of emotions it, it is going through that. And I know my first son was colicky as well, oh. and I, I – we, Ended up with that, like, uh, orange Infamil can, $10 a shot. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what we ended up with. Yeah, Nutramagen yeah, or something like that. Yeah, Nutramagen, that's right. Right, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know what, Nick? One thing that I usually ask um, a lot of you NFL players that I get on the show, and I'm curious to hear your answer because you have two young sons, 
Uh, it's a difficult decision for many parents out here just because now, especially more so that we know everything about CTE, how do you feel about young kids playing tackle football, and what do you think would be a good age for them to start? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. It's a really complex question, and I, and I think the my immediate reaction when I got out of the NFL and kind of being overwhelmed with the health concerns that were flooding the headlines and flooding the news and just getting bombarded with that, if you allow yourself, you kind of get beat down by that, and you, you may succumb to, oh, this is going to be my future, and I can't really do anything about it, and it's going to be really perilous. But then you start to learn a little bit more and you learn about neuroplasticity and you learn about the neurons being, being able to work around some areas that may not have or that may have been sheared through the damage done in the National Football League and through some traumatic brain injury that may have occurred. And as a football player and as an athlete, you've naturally got this competitive nature about you. And you've been taught your entire life to fight back. So when it comes to your health, then, you learn to start chipping away at the process of reclaiming your health. And for me, I've done not everything under the sun. I've done so many things to be proactive with my own brain health that I feel like I am firing on all cylinders and I even feel like I'm operating at a higher level now from a mental standpoint than I was before I started playing football. I feel incredibly empowered with my own health and what I'm able to accomplish at this point in my life that I have completely changed my stance from when I first got out of the National Football League to now going into my fifth season being removed. I'm fine with my children playing football as long as they really want it and as long as they have the mentality to overcome some of the obstacles that are inherent in the game, like concussions, like the injuries that come with it. And understanding coming to the game with the knowledge that it is not a healthy game. This is not a lifestyle activity. This is a very violent sport that has massive payoffs, and not just financial massive payoffs, which... All right, Dad, the NFL season is now upon us, and the Major League Baseball season is winding down. There is no better time to take your kids to the ball game, and First Class Fatherhood listeners can save $20 off their tickets on SeatGeek.com by using my promo code FIRSTCLASS. That's one word, FIRSTCLASS. Maybe you want to see a concert or a Broadway show. Save 20 bucks on the tickets on SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code FIRSTCLASS. It's a slam dunk deal, dads. SeatGeek.com, promo code FIRSTCLASS. Fatherhood is the best seat in the house. I would be a fool to regret what I did for a living based on the leap that I've made from where I could have been to financially where I've put our family in a position to continue to grow for generations. I mean, the comfort level that has come from the discomfort of playing in the National Football League is staggering. But we understand the damage that can take place. But we also understand there's so many benefits from playing in the NFL. And and when I say it's got to be a kid-driven 
lead into the sport that whatever that sport it is, they have to lead. It can't be parents shoving them in because, I mean, think about this, Alec. No human, let alone any child, wants to be told what to do. So when I'm telling you to do something, it's not going to be near as effective as, as if you are telling me what you're going to do. So if the kids come to me and say, Dad, I really, really, really want to play football, and they won't completely understand the ramifications of playing football until you go through those ramifications. But if they really are into it, then, yes, I would allow them. Would I try to hold them off as long as possible? Absolutely. Like I, like I started at the beginning of this, I was a high school wrestler. I played football through my youth years from third grade all the way up until ninth grade when I didn't get a snap on the football team because I was just a runt. As a freshman, I was five foot four, 125 pounds, so I didn't really didn't really have a position that I could fill on the football team at the time. But I, the way that I came to the game and in college, and then made it to the National Football League, and had a 11 year 11 year career, and some of the guys that I played with that got into the game incredibly late and are going to be Hall of Famers, like. Antonio Gates, for example, didn't play college football. He's going to be a Hall of Fame football player. So when I think about my kids getting into the sport, sure, I'd let them play. Would I try to hold them off as long as possible? Would I try to keep them in flag football? Absolutely, because it's frankly unnecessary to get kids into the game that early. And really to pigeonhole them into any sport early, it's unnecessary because if you're playing a myriad of sports, if you're developing a foundation for movement patterns, for visual acuity, if they're seeing the games flow in front of them and understanding how they fit into that, then they're going to be able to transfer all of that physicality and that knowledge to another sport very readily. I mean, my wrestling career perfectly synced up with my job as an offensive lineman. And so when I think about rushing them into a sport, Absolutely not. If they are dead set on playing, they're going to do it with or without dad's approval. And so I would just assume if they really want to do it, I'm going to get, I'm going to put them in as good of a position as I possibly can to be as safe as possible and then to have as much success as possible. Yeah, very well said, Nick. And how about as far as discipline? What type of disciplinarian are you as a father? I was. <laughs> This is this is funny because when I was doing a, a little soccer coaching, I had a dad approach me, and I call it very straight. I just tell my boys how it is, just like I would tell one of my teammates, I don't really think that's a very effective way. Why don't we try this? I do this exact thing with my boys. I'm very frank. I'm very honest. And at times I can be cutting. I had a dad tell me, have you thought of the sandwich method of parenting? I said, well, this is going to be interesting. What's this? What's the sandwich method. And he said, every time you have something negative to say, you should sandwich it between two positive thoughts. And when when he said that, I said, you know, I, I was raised under the Butch Hardwick School of Parenting, and my dad was, he was a pretty fierce disciplinarian. I was, he spanked us when we acted up. He was very matter-of-fact with us, and he didn't tolerate anything. And we we grew up under three tenets in the house, which I bring to my house. You have to be tough, you have to be hardworking, and you have to be respectful. 
And that means respectful of yourself, but respectful of other people. And I don't think you can do anything in life and have any measure of success without being tough. Toughness allows us to work hard. Toughness allows us, even when we're not feeling well, to be respectful of other people and to be able to treat them the way that they should be treated. So those are the three tenets that we bring into our house. That was the way that I was raised. Now, kind of, I think, a natural progression of parenting is we do become a little bit softer and we do learn different tools. Like my dad, for example, broke his back because his dad threw him through the studs in his wall. And that was old school, 1950s, 1960s parenting. My dad spanked me. I don't like to take that approach with my kids. I think there's other effective tools that will allow us to continue to have a wonderful relationship will also allow us and allow them to get where they need to be. And so when I think about discipline, I absolutely discipline my children. And and what I always tell them is my job as a parent is to discipline you until you learn to discipline yourself. And at seven and five, you're not able to discipline yourself, but you do have to have discipline to be successful and it's my job to teach you how to discipline. Yeah, very well said, Nick. And I think that really speaks to the importance of, um, you know, fathers in the life uh, of our children. Just we, we are facing a fatherless problem, a crisis here in this country with kids that are growing up without that type of uh, father figure or role model. And the results have been just devastating on the communities here, according to the statistics. But that's 100% right. When I think about a lot of the issues that we do have in our country, I think it comes down to fatherless homes. I think it comes down to single-parent homes, and kudos to the moms out there, kudos to the single dads, because I know there's a lot of those guys out there, too, that are doing a wonderful job. But I think when you look at the majority of single-family homes, I just think how hard it is to raise kids with two parents who are actively involved, and my wife doesn't work, and I've got more or less a part-time gig, and I think, are we giving these kids enough to have success down the line? And then I think, we are two parents who are incredibly involved in their lives, and we care so much about them, and we give them a lot, a lot of time and a lot of coaching and throw so many resources at them to have success. And then I think about the single-parent homes out there and going to work two, three jobs and wild praise needs to be heaped on these folks who are making do as a single parent. But as far as getting ahead for your children, think about the challenge that that is, to be able to go to work and then to be able to put food on the table and then to be able to have the energy to play with your kids and to to teach them and to coach them and to not just come home, throw something on the table, sit down in front of the TV and go, I am physically, mentally, emotionally exhausted right now. And I can't imagine what that process would be like. I don't want to imagine what that process would be like. And so when you talk about a lot of the issues, coming back to fatherless homes, coming back to single-parent homes, I'm 100% on board. I think that is a massive, massive issue that we have in this country. Yeah, without a doubt, Nick. And uh, just try, uh, that's my, really, I talk about that quite a bit on the podcast here and just trying to shine the light on the positive uh, effects of having a, a, you know, becoming a father and being active in your children's lives. And 
and making fatherhood something that you want to, you know, embrace and not something that you want to uh, avoid, uh, especially for this younger generation of guys coming up. Yeah, it's a wild responsibility being a parent. I mean, there is no escaping the responsibility of being in the house every single day, and it's super challenging. I mean, you want to talk about patients being tested on a daily basis, your own kind of ethos being tested where it's like, what do I really believe in? Because if I'm going to teach these kids on a daily basis, I had better bore down to the core of myself and figure out what allowed me to have this success. How can I teach them in a way that they will be able to receive the message that I'm trying to lay onto them? Because as parents, we all know we've, there's plenty of times that you've tried to give a message that it just complete, it fell completely flat. You know that's the right message and you know there's a way for the kid to receive it. But there has to be a way you may have to learn a new way to deliver that message. Or like, for example, my two boys are completely different, as all humans are. But you think as a parent, it's like, oh, yeah, I got two boys. I got this figured out. I have to talk to them in completely different manners. And I have to balance out because they're both wildly competitive. But it's different the way that they compete. And so when I think about all that I've had to learn, there's plenty of times that where we're out playing ball and I have to talk to one a certain way. I have to be mindful of the way that I'm speaking to my oldest and knowing that my youngest is listening to me and could potentially use the way that I talk to my oldest against me later in life saying, well, dad, you don't tell Hudson that same thing. So, I mean, you want to talk about a really complex communication circle and that's just like one tiny example of what you're trying to give these kids. Parenting is parenting is like the greatest responsibility, but it's also one of the greatest learning mechanisms for ourselves that we have because you really do have to solidify everything that you think you know about yourself. You've got to you've got to be flexible in that. You and then you have to really bear bore down to understand what are my core fundamentals and try to give that to those kids. Yeah, without a doubt. And I, I certainly see that with my four children as well. As each one of them requires a little bit of a different finesse when it comes to uh, delivering discipline and communicating and, and the whole bit. And, and you may have covered it here uh, in, in your last response there, but the last thing I'll hit you with here, Nick, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new father or for that about-to-be dad who's out there listening? Breaks for impact. And I know I, I mean that in a, in a very loving way, but the one bit of advice that was never shared with me before becoming a parent, because I think there's a, a great lie out there that, and it eventually turns into this, but the newborn being the light of your life. For me as a parent, and I'm sure it's different for everybody out there, for me as a parent, it was a wonderful experience seeing the baby come out. The first couple of weeks were a honeymoon experience, and then you really settle down into a completely different life than the one you had merely months before that baby came out. And it's a completely new construct where before you were the top of the totem pole, you were the one that you got to decide everything you were doing during your day, every Every calendar event was based on you. Every decision you made was based on you. Then you incorporate your wife into the decision-making process when you two become married and live together and 
you kind of adapt new roles there. And then a child is thrown into the mix, and they are the top of the totem pole. They become the number one priority in your family. And at first it's just keeping this baby alive, making sure this baby has what it needs, but then it continues to grow and expand. And there's no doubt that our children come before us in life. And that to me as was never really described as a incumbent, as a parent who is about to have a baby. And then as a new parent, I wish somebody would have just told me, your world is about to be up, turned upside down. It's going to be a bit of an upheaval, and there's going to be a lot of inner turmoil as you're kind of settling in to this new phase of life. And it was a really hard transition. I think for a lot of parents it is a hard transition, but I think there's, it also needs to be known out there that it's okay that it's hard, that it's completely normal, that you shouldn't expect a, a complete life-altering element thrown into your familial pattern to to not be hard, for there not to be a transition. So expect it to be hard. And when you expect things to be hard, usually it's easier than you expect. Yeah, very well said, Nick. I love the message. This has been an honor for me. I got to say, Nick Hardwick, you're a first-class father. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on first-class fatherhood. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for the work you're doing. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to Nick Hardwick for giving me a few minutes of his time here. That was so cool. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, and drop me that DM over on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I always love to read your feedback. Locking in for tomorrow. We got a Frogman Friday edition of First Class Fatherhood coming at you. Former Navy SEAL and best-selling author Tom Shea will be here with me. Don't miss out on that. That's all I got for you guys today. I'm Alec Lace. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first-class fathers. You're half-truths and tears.